Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 30 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program at chrisandreggie.com and all the places they keep noise. Now, today, we're going to be discussing something very near and dear to... Well, no, no, we're actually going to be talking about something I know very, very little about. And that is the Legion of Superheroes. But there is a very important reason, or maybe just a regular old reason, as to why we're doing that. I think the theme of this episode is going to be information. Um, not having it, wanting it, maybe having it and not sharing it. Uh, just the the currency that uh, that comes with information uh, in certain times. And uh, if you're anything like me, and uh, as I often say, I hope you're not, um, the propensity for us to maybe be down on ourselves for not having information or... Uh, even if it's information we're not even privy to, it's a. Uh, I'm an odd fellow. We'll we'll, we'll get into it uh, as we as we go along here, but the uh, Legion of Superheroes is not a concept that I have really any familiarity with. Uh, it's one of those uh, daunting, you know, Sisyphean, uh, if that's even the way you say that, efforts to get into the Legion of Superheroes that always seem like a very labyrinthine sort of a. Uh, multiple chronologies and all different sorts of continuities all the the reboots the three boots i just didn't know where to start and it feels like like if you're a, a grown person who has ever tried to learn a second language it, it's a lot more difficult to do so than if you were just brought up knowing multiple languages and it's just one of those things you need to start with early and in a completely different but sort of similar way i think the same could be said for our uh, you know our fictional four color uh, funnies here i grew up an x-men fan so that was never really a uh, an effort for me you know i i've i've met people who were like had the same sort of a uh, point of view about the x-men as i do about the legion where it's like oh i'm not even gonna try getting into that because there's just no way i'm gonna be able to figure it all out there's just too many books, there's too many characters, it's just an overwhelming task, and uh, that's how I was about the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, the first time I even gave the Legion a look was uh, during the Mark Wade uh, run, I think it was 2004, 2005-ish, and that was the first time I ever gave the Legion a look, because it was, they said it would be like a good po a good place to jump on, and uh Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I didn't stick along, stick around with it long enough to find out. Um, I have since filled in a tremendous Legion of Superheroes collection, but they are uh, you know, just sitting in a long box with everything else. I've got hundreds of issues of the stuff. I've probably read a good hundred of them, and I still don't understand it. <laughs> it's just uh, way too uh, expansive a, uh, a topic for me. And I'm the kind of guy who uh, gets... I get frustrated when I don't get something right away. Um, even even in you know my academic life here, uh, I could start a class day one, and just the fact that I don't know what's in the last chapter of the textbook that I won't be reading for like eight weeks, it kind of bugs me. Like I feel like I should know things. I don't know if that's ego. I don't know if that's uh, I, what kind of defect I've got in me where I just think I ought to know things. And when you, when I don't, it's a uh, it's it's difficult for me to swallow sometimes, and so the Legion was uh, was one of those sort of topics that I just did not get, and I wasn't going to be able to figure out how to get it, 
and I wasn't willing to actually buckle down and uh, and put in the time, which is something I complain about with uh you know fans these days. You know, it's they want all their number ones and origin stories, and uh, where I'm I'm actually you know a hundred percent guilty of that when it comes to the Legion. I, I just want to I want a place where I could hop on and enjoy the ride where. I kind of get on other people for feeling having those same sort of expectations. Now, growing up, I was never really all that concerned with information, you know, having it, knowing it, and uh, I think just uh, in that 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 time in my life, or maybe that time in all of our lives, we're just expecting to learn things as uh, we go along, and I think maybe when you hit, you know, when you pay your first bunch of taxes and. You buy your first house, and so I think you maybe have like a feeling you're done learning for a little while. You know, you're uh, you're past that stage, but uh, you're not. And even in a silly thing like a like a comic book fandom, there's always a lot to learn. Whether you know whether you're willing to put in the uh, put in the effort or not is up to you. But uh, there's always new stuff to learn, and there's always there's always a new book or a book you missed out on. There's always a story that you could. Uh, that you could hop into and uh, and learn all about, and as a you know bona fide fake ass comic book historian, uh, the Legion has been one of my you know f- few intentional blind spots um, because I just don't even know where to begin. Uh, I'm sure had I begun reading when I was a kid, it would have been a totally different thing. Uh, I have similar uh, challenges with the entire like Roy Thomas corner uh, of like the early '80s. Like the All Star Squadron and Infinity Inc. and those that was a pretty big intentional blind spot for me because I, you know, it just seems so deep. You know, um, I've reviewed a few Roy Thomas books on the blog, and it's a uh, boy, it's daunting because there's just so much information in there. I, you know, I, I could only imagine what uh, Roy Thomas's desk looked like as he was uh, doing research for, like, a random issue of All-Star Squadron. Because he has so many, you know, bits of real history in there. He's got he's got it, like, intertwined with the fictional narrative, like, almost perfectly. It's just uh, astonishing. And for the longest time, that was just another one of those areas of uh, the DC Universe. I was like, nope, nope, that's for someone else. I am not... <laughs> Getting into that, but uh, you know, it, it, you know, the JSA, the Justice Society, is kind of a gateway drug into that, where uh, you know you do get kind of massaged into an all-star uh, state of mind. And uh, we actually almost talked about an all-star comic today, but uh, decided to go for a Legion book for another reason. But we'll get there. Um, now, the Legion, I really don't have much of a gateway drug. I I didn't come into you know Superman comics before the crisis, so. Far as I knew, they you know they really didn't matter so much. They had the the pocket universe Superboy or whatever that was. It's a uh, there you know it was nebulous their their association. If you could even say that there was a firm association, so didn't have much of a uh, gateway into the Legion. And you know they there were just so many of them growing up. It seemed like there were like three or four different Legion books uh, in the early nineties. You had Legion of Superheroes, you had uh, the Legionnaires, you had Legion with the, uh, you know, apostrophe year after it, you had Rebels, you had, it just seemed like a very, uh, just a very heavy topic to try to get into. And, you know, back in the day, you know, you, you always treated 
every comic stand like it was a library, you know? So you flip through everything, and if something caught your eye, you grab it. And, boy, I'm pretty sure any time I opened up a Legion book, it was just like, wow, there's a lot of people in this, you know? And they're all wearing different but similar uniforms, and I'm going to have to learn all these names. And then you find out that, like, their names are, like, Imra and Golands or whatever, and it's like, oh, boy. You know, it's a lot different than Scott Summers and Hank McCoy. So it's uh, very, very difficult for, for me to, you know, hop on in. And, and even now, you know, 25, 30 years later, I'm still in the same sort of a situation when it comes to the Legion. And it's like this weird struggle where it's like... Uh, don't have the information, want the information, but don't want to get the information. You know, it's, uh, because it's everywhere. I mean, there are multiple wikis, and I mean, there's people, people are just encyclopedic in their knowledge online. You know, I think, uh, all of us in our little, you know, cloistered comics community here, I think all of us are an expert at something. You know, we all have something we can speak to and speak about with, uh, eloquence and, uh, really offer amazing insight into uh, certain topics, certain titles, certain characters, certain creators. And uh, my problem is that I want to, and this is maybe ego, <laughs> maybe it's a, maybe it's insecurity, uh, maybe it's inferiority, I don't know, but I want to kind of be like all things to all people, you know? Uh, and that's, it's not a healthy outlook to have, it's not a uh, smart outlook to have either. But uh, rather than, you know, being someone who just knows a lot about a certain thing. I, I kind of want to know a little bit about everything, or enough about everything to uh, be able to share and be able to uh, speak about intelligently. And Legion was just never that thing, and uh, it probably never will be. And that kind of bothers me. Yeah, knowledge and understanding of things was just never really a priority growing up. Um, like I said earlier, it's like you just expect that you're going to be learning things. Every day you're going to be learning something new, uh, because you're in school or because you're, you know, just around older people who can impart their wisdom and their experience onto you. But when you're out of that stage of your life, it's a little different. And uh, you suddenly don't have, for lack of a better term, uh, mentors, you know, um, be it a relative, a teacher, a, a clergyman, whatever it is, you know, whatever you, uh, wherever you would gain knowledge or understanding of things, that's you reach a point in your life where you just don't have it as much. And I think, uh, it, and then you jump into like the workforce where information is a true, <laughs> it's, it actually is like the entirety of the currency where you could run into people who give you only half of the information you need to do your job right. Just so just to protect themselves, you know, uh, I think anybody who's worked in any sort of corporate environment is, uh, Unfortunately, very familiar with that sort of a situation. Or maybe it was left to you to give information to somebody else and you had to decide whether to do it or not. It's, uh, you know, it goes both ways. I could think of one time in particular, and I'm going all over the place here and I apologize for that, but uh, it, it'll come around, I hope. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take this ride as long as it goes. Uh, I was working one of my temporary jobs, one of my moratory jobs, and... Uh, I was uh, filling a role as a, as a manager, and I was working alongside a guy who uh, was tenured there. He was there for a while. And I was supposed to be taking over some of his tasks to free him up for other things. And he wasn't too keen on that, and he made that very evident from uh, 
you know, from day one, that he was uh, really not cool with someone coming in to, uh, I mean, more or less replace him or phase him out. And so when I started getting uh, his duties, his tasks, um, I would have to learn from him, and he would only give me uh, I, I, what I come to find uh, very little of the information that I needed to perform the functions to, uh, you know, what they were supposed to be. And uh, it was embarrassing. I'm not a guy who got in trouble at work, you know, or I'm not a guy who gets in trouble anywhere. I'm just, I'm (laughs) I'm a goody-two-shoes for the most part. But uh, after not getting all the proper information I needed to do this job, it turns out that I didn't do what, you know, man, upper management and directors uh, were expecting of me. So it was quite an embarrassing situation, not having the information that I needed. And uh, I, I, I confronted the guy. It was a, it was uncomfortable for him because I was pretty fired up. Uh, I'd never, it's, it's you know, all my time working, I'd never had a crossword with someone above me. I'd never had a situation where... Um, where I was going to be written up for something, or where I made an where I where I made a mistake that was big enough to be you know addressed, and here I am, you know, trying to prove myself in a temporary position that I'm hoping might become a full time position, but you know, ninety percent of the time they don't, and here I am, you know, getting a chewing for uh, not performing the job properly, and it was all because this guy didn't give me all the information I needed. And it was just a couple of key components, which uh, it could be an oversight, you know, it, it could very well just be something he forgot to impart on me, or maybe he thought it was common sense because he'd been doing it to the point where it was automated in him, but uh, eh, I have a sneaking suspicion it was not that. And uh, when I confronted him, it, it more or less came out that uh, that he, you know, left it out intentionally, and uh, I invited him to discuss it further outside, and he declined the invitation. But uh, I wasn't there much longer, which is <laughs> probably a good thing for all of us. But uh, the point I'm trying to make here is the fact that when you don't have enough information, you might embarrass yourself when you try to speak eloquently about something. So now we fast forward to 2017 where I am writing my 400th daily blog post. It was DC Universe Rebirth, which I've talked about several times on the air already. But it was in that, um, in that you know, missive that I actually put out an invitation to any of the readers of the blog to send me their, uh, you know, requests. You know, will you tell me what you want me to review, and I will review it. And, uh... Boy, you know, it's uh, one of those be careful what you wish for sort of situations because it was quiet for a little while and I was kind of bummed out because, you know, it's our our nebulous friend engagement, uh, which on blogs is uh, spurious at best. You don't know when you're going to get it. Uh, you might never get it. You might get a bunch of it. But, uh, you know, I put this post out there and I didn't get any sort of uh, engagement in that regard. I got, you know, congratulations. We're normal on milestone days, but... Uh, I didn't get any requests, and I thought that was, uh, that bummed me out a little bit. But then, then, I got a request, and <laughs> it was for an issue of the Legion of Superheroes. And not only was it an issue of Legion of Superheroes, it was a uh, very, very dense issue of Legion of Superheroes that I 
was just not comfortable reviewing because I didn't have any of the context. I didn't know any of the characters. It was that similar situation where I knew that I could embarrass myself if I put this out there and because I mean the Legion fan base, they are they are vocal, they are knowledgeable, they're passionate. And if uh, you know, the idiot over at Chris's on Infinite Earths is gonna, you know, crap the bed <laughs> on a Legion review I didn't want that to happen, and I wanted to make sure I did whatever homework I could, or at least prefaced enough that I did not know what I was talking about uh, before I started it. And uh, that's the book we're going to be discussing today, is uh, a book that, through no fault of anyone but myself, I did not have enough information to review, and uh, I hope that I do it the service that it uh, deserves Because it is a great issue, even without the context It's a very, very strong, very, very dark uh, It's just a really, really good issue But uh, we'll hop into that after the horns Hokey dokie, Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 28 Had a cover date of April 1992 Story, title, and if this isn't scary enough for you It's Terra Mosaic Part 4. So, <laughs> I, I didn't read the first three parts. Uh, story, Tom and Mary Beerbum. Breakdowns, Keith Giffen. Pencils, Jason Pearson. Inks, Al Gordon. Lead is John Workman. Colors, Tom McCraw. Assists, Bob Cahan, or Cahan. Edits, Michael Yuri. Cover price, $1.75 American. And, uh... When I got this request, it was from a, a pal of the blog, uh, Jeremy Daw. He has his own blog called uh, Musings and Mutterings of an Idiot Scribe, and I'll put that link in the show notes for you. It's a, he's, a, he's a wonderful writer. I, I definitely recommend checking out his work. But uh, when I first got the request, I thought he was talking about issue, I think, 38 or 39. It's uh, whichever, you know, spoiler alert, it, it's the one where Earth is destroyed. And uh, the story goes that... Uh, Keith Giffen destroyed the Earth just to see if he could, like, to see if any editors were watching. And, uh, turns out, no, no, they weren't. But, uh, and when he requested it, I was like, oh, yeah, I got that issue, so I can do that, you know, whenever. And then, of course, I go through my long box and figure figure out that I do not, in fact, have that issue. And had to hunt it down, and it wasn't a hard find, but, uh, but I still, you know, had to go to the store, had to grab it, and had to read it. And, uh, let's get right on into it here. Now, we open in darkness, however, there are some voices. There seems to have been an accident. An uncooked human has been injured. Uh, the voices of the bystanders conflate with those in a memory. Suddenly we see, and uh, what we see, is a bullied young boy. He's crying, and his father is none too pleased with the situation. When the lad asks for advice, he is told that things aren't always fair, but sometimes you need to make them be fair. Now we're back in the darkness with the commingling voices. Uh, when we return back to the light, we again see the boy. Now, however, he's barely a toddler. His mother appears to be more interested in the upcoming fashion show than actually seeing to her son's cries. His Durlin, I, I, I think she's a Durlin. She looks like a chameleon boy. I think he's a Durlin. I could be talking completely out my ass right now. But uh, we're going to call her a Durlin for <laughs> For all intents and purposes She's his nanny And she's assigned the task to check on the boy We learn here that the boy's father Might not be the most committed husband And then again we zip over to the darkness 
Next flashback is the boy. He's a little bit older. He's on the soccer, or whatever the far-flung future has instead of soccer. He's on the field disputing a bad call from an official. He claims that the other team cheated, but his father reasons that perhaps the other team just wanted to win more. They valued winning more than they did. We shift forward a few years, and the boy, now a young man, is brought into his father's business in a seemingly management-level role. I'm just going to refer to him as Dirk, or Sun Boy from this point on, because that's who it is. He's introduced to his team, one of whom, a Dr. Regulus, greets him with a bit of disrespectful sass. We learn by this point that Dirk can give as good as he takes, and he makes Regulus look rather foolish. Perhaps this is a sign that his father's words have had an effect after all. Then back to the darkness, then back to the light. Dirk heads into his father's office and finds him having a time with uh, someone who isn't his mother. This leads to a discussion where Dirk tries to wrap his head around the fact of why his father would act in such a way, to which he is told that he is only acting the way women want him to. Huh, yeah, whatever you tell yourself to get through the night, pal. To make up, to make things up for his son, uh, Mr. Morgna decides to, uh, send him to a cat house. Yes, uh, we head inside the Cherry Patch Ranch, where young Dirk meets with a lady of the evening. However, when he looks at her, he can only see his mother's face. We flash forward a bit to an accident happening at the office. There was an explosion, and there are casualties. It turns out that Dr. Regulus was getting even for all of his ribbing for ruining his career, you know. Uh, He decides an eye for an eye would suffice. Uh, Dirk killed his career, and so he'll kill Dirk. This doesn't work out so well for the good Dr. Regulus. Dirk's hands grow hot, and next we see him in his full sunboy garb. He approaches Regulus and proceeds to beat him to death. As he pummels, Regulus takes on the visage of Dirk himself, perhaps a sign that he is fighting what he's become, or maybe now he sees Regulus as something of a weakling like he used to be. Either way, it's a fairly striking sequence, and uh, uh, puns are always intended with me. I love that uh, the sun on Sunboy's uniform now, it shows a skull. I mean, it's uh, the, the, art, the stylized art here is pretty awesome. Uh, I should mention that while the wailing occurs, the Legion Oath is being read, which is uh, some neat uh, juxtaposition there. Back into the darkness, back into the light. The scene becomes rather frenetic at this point, and we see Sunboy at various stages of maturity. I didn't have the context then, I don't have the context now for what follows, uh, but what we do get here is that Sunboy has been tasked with evacuating a planet, and he just might have bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. He takes the words of his father to heart, and he may feel as though he has total control over the quote-unquote fairness of a given situation. However, he might just be about to learn that certain things will never be fair. We continue into a stream of Legionnaire cameos. It's pretty clear that Sunboy was, at one time, the leader of the Legion of Superheroes, and uh, one by one, his teammates enter his quarters and resign. The resignations begin relatively benign, however, grow crueler as they persist. After some guilt-tripping in the form of his father and Alicia, that's uh, one of them who died in the lab, Sunboy is visited by Polar Boy, and he appears to be our man's number one fan. He's completely upbeat and appears to be telling Dirk everything he'd ever want to hear, which, in this instance, is probably the last thing Dirk wants to listen to. 
He lashes out at Polar Boy and then resigns from the Legion himself. Darkness again. Then we come back into focus. Dirk is standing in a charity line. At one time he had it all, but now nothing. He's approached by his fellow hard luckers and is called out for being an EarthGov traitor and a cooned conspirator as they pelt him with garbage. He is rescued by an armored officer who is revealed to be a science police member named Siobhan Aaron. He is taken in and given a hot meal. He expresses interest in joining something, maybe the EarthGov, but she tells him that it ain't worth it. From here, he goes off to drown his sorrows, at which time he is approached by a young lady who promises to show him that he deserves better. Then another young lady. And another. And another. What I'm trying to say is our son boy might have a a little bit of an addiction, or maybe that this woman is a shapeshifter that I should have a, you know, I should be able to recognize, I don't know. Uh, He is told that the world can be his so long as he joins the EarthGov team. I thought he was already interested from his chat with Shvon, but uh, maybe I'm, I'm probably missing something. Anyway, he signs on the dotted line. At this point, we meet our old friends, the Dominators, and in a, in a horrifying panel, Dirk takes on some of their more prominent features. Uh, again, the art is just wonderful here. It's just, it's really, really creepy. Sunboy then prepares to give a speech regarding a recent EarthGov event. He starts off strong, however, the longer it goes, the more uncomfortable he appears to be. He knows the words he speak are nothing more than lies. He stops, refusing to continue, at which time he is informed that he has a job to do and he better keep doing it. We shift to Dirk's vehicle, vehicle surrounded by citizens, and they're not happy in the slightest. They riot and they beat on his rig until an armored officer blasts the bystanders with a disintegration ray. Dirk has a front-row seat and is a captive audience to all of the gore. While listening to a report about oncoming tsunamis, meteors, and dominator ships, Dirk cuts himself out of the vehicle. We shift to a young man pointing skyward, and then we see atop a building, Sunboy in his old costume. It, it really, the art here is just really, really something else. This, uh... Gives this is for some reason it's thrown me back into like Miracle Man here. This this one this one image is really really strong. Now up atop this building he's smiling and it's very eerie. Um, now it would appear that he was expecting the crowd below to give him a hero's welcome. However, that's not the case. Instead they boo him for being a traitor. He looks out over the horizon and a wave of radiation approaches, and it just wrecks Sunboy. The issue wraps up with Dirk Morgna. He's inside a pod, inside a lab, and he is screaming. So, uh, really, really dark stuff here. Well, I wasn't sure what I read back in 2017, and I still, I'm not sure what I just read, but I I loved it. It was great. Uh, This definitely has that, uh, you know, that Keith Giffen frenetic feeling of insanity and discomfort, you know. I would have, uh... I, I always figured that the Legion were, you know, like primary color heroes and uh, wouldn't think that something like this would have appeared, you know, in it. Uh, this is like a very twisted look at one of their members. It's just really fun to experience. And again, I did this with zero context then and maybe even less context now because uh, I, I've read so much other stuff that isn't Legion between now that uh, I really can't say. Um I don't know any of these characters besides this issue, basically. Uh, don't know who they are, where they've been, what they've done, where they're going. 
And, uh, you know, I, I could only imagine what a, uh, a veteran Legion fan or a seasoned Legion fan would have felt reading this issue because uh, it's really something else. Uh, I'm going to assume, emphasis on assume, that Sunboy was a somewhat less than savory individual prior to this issue. Uh, the issue here shows that he was, a ra- he was raised by one aloof parent in his mother and one less than moral type A parent in his father. During his childhood and into his adolescence, he sort of walked a line between privileged and abused. We hear the father compare his whining to that of a loser. However, he's also given positions of authority over skilled engineers and technicians simply because of who his father is. In his mocking of Dr. Regulus, Dirk shows that he sort of embraces his father's words, at least, you know, sort of, kind of. He goes against type, and instead of being bullied as like he was as a child, and, uh, you know, a kid who runs the guy to his parents, he just becomes the bully. We also see the way that uh, in which his father treats women, and uh, the way he justifies how he treats women. In telling Dirk that women really want to be used and or treated as objects, uh, you gotta wonder just how much of that might have stuck with our uh, son boy here. We got that scene where Sunboy fights Regulus, and the latter appears to the former as the former. <laughs> it's as though uh, Sunboy is just beating the hell out of Sunboy. Like I said earlier, is this an indication that Dirk hates what he's become, uh, or does he see Regulus as, you know, as he used to be, a weakling? I'm really not sure, but it's uh, pretty deep if you think about it, and uh, sadly, again, while I am engaged and intrigued, I don't have any context. Uh, so, and I, and I say it all the time, I should I should get in on this, but I, I know I never will. Uh, we see Dirk when he was a one-time leader of the Legion, and I mean, they were. I think everybody was leader, leader of the Legion. I might have been leader of the Legion at some point. And uh, from all indications, he uh, wasn't all that great in his role. I'm not sure when the Black Dawn event that they mentioned was, and I'm not entirely clear on any of the particulars, but if it had anything to do with the planetary evacuation, eh, it might just be what... Uh, you know, Dirk has that problem with uh, The idea that poor Dirk is in a pod Reliving all of these horrible events in his life yeah, One of the fellows there who found the pod says he was, He's supposed to be dead And right around now he wishes he were And uh, I mean this is like Phantom Zone level uh, torture here He lives through that waking nightmare And that's gotta be That's almost certainly worse than just being dead you know, uh, and, and you know, he was wrecked by an entire sky full of radiation to boot, so he's burnt. Uh, now, let's talk about the art here. Uh, let's first talk about panel placement. This issue is almost entirely nine panel grids. It feels very claustrophobic, and we can almost immediately tell that Keith Giffen had a hand in those layouts, even without seeing his name in the uh, credits. Uh, the only page without the nine-page panel is the full-page spread with Sunboy atop that building looking all creepy. Uh, without even realizing it, I gotta say there was like a brief moment of relief having broken out of the grid. You know, I, I'm not sure if that's what was the intentional long to sort of give the reader this like weird moment of hope and openness and room to breathe. That's kind of how I received it. Unconsciously, you know, it wasn't until I flipped through it again that I was able to realize that there was some sort of a difference. I, I, though, you know, you know me, I, I might just be thinking far too hard on this. Uh, the art proper is really amazing. Uh, panels that were supposed to be ugly are ugly. You know, panels that are not supposed to be ugly are are beautiful, but sort of in ugly, broken ways. 
it's difficult to explain. Uh, it's the the issue is just like invaded with feelings of distress and hopelessness. Um, the uh, one thing they used was cartoony mouths, like these giant, <laughs> crazy mouths, which really convey the creepiness, and maybe uh, are a like a, a reflection of uh, Dirk's perception of everybody's personalities via their mouths. You know, sometimes it's like an evil smile that just takes over a sort of a normal-looking face, which. Again, I might be thinking too hard, but this just might be Dirk's, you know, his perception of, of these characters. So this is definitely not a book I probably I would have checked out on my own, you know? And I wouldn't have had it not been uh, suggested. So uh, I'm really glad that I did. It's really, uh, it's probably, this, this is the sort of thing is why I uh, decided to take requests back in the day. I wanted to expand my horizons and... Uh, and find myself in uncomfortable situations, uh, in, in unfamiliar waters, basically. So, it's almost fitting that uh, the Legion was the first one. Now, we talk about engagement here sometimes, but uh, I actually got a comment on this from Jeremy, who uh, requested the issue. So, let's read that now. He says, Thanks for reviewing this, Chris. It's been a while since I've read it, but I'm glad you found it as compelling and as interesting as I do. My knowledge of the Legion is by no means complete, but this issue had a profound impact on me, mostly because in Sunboy it takes a character who, in the bigger milieu of the Legion superheroes, was something of a cliché. He was somewhat hot-headed, happy-go-lucky, fire-powered superhero, and it turns him into a genuinely tragic figure. In the post-Watchmen, dark and gritty comics of the late 80s, early 90s, the five years later Legion is, in my view, one of the most successful, imaginative, and powerful reimaginings and revisitings of all. At this point, Giffen was the king of the nine-panel grid, and you're right, he uses it here to incredibly powerful effect. There's almost a stream of consciousness fluidity to the transitions. The seemingly never-ending stream of women, the way the referee appears to change into Dirk's father, etc. And those smiles are something else. A simple but extraordinarily disturbing signifier of how easily and consistently he is deceived. That full page, though, is heartbreaking. Sunboy in his old ill-fitting uniform, dirty and soiled, standing in the rain expecting the adulation of his adoring public. Here, he's real, he really is lost. His attempt to retreat to his storied past is simply an indication of how completely out of touch with the horrible present he now is. It's a great issue, but probably not even in the top three issues of the run. I can heartily recommend checking out the rest of the series, although at least some of its power does rely on being at least partly conversant with earlier incarnations of the comic book. Not because you need to know what happened to figure out what's going on, but just because, as with this issue, knowing what the characters used to be like only reinforces the impact of the changes Giffen wrought upon them. Of course, Zero Hour resets everything again, which annoyed the hell out of me at the time, but the five years later thing had probably gone as far as it could at that point. Still, it was awesome while it lasted. Some random things you might like to know. Dirk is indeed working as an official spokesman for the Dominators, who at this point in the series have occupied the Earth. The triptych of women is the, the triptych of women the shapeshifter shifts into are all approximations of Legionnaires, Shadowlass, the White Witch, and Phantom Girl. Which is just creepy, especially the witch whose innocence and earnestness are key aspects to her character. The polar boy who Dirk says has justly imprisoned is, has just has been justly imprisoned is, of course, the same polar boy who, alone of all the legionnaires, is seen standing by Sunboy at the end of his disastrous stint as team leader. 
The man has no loyalty, no morals, and ultimately no future. As I said, poignant and powerful stuff. And, uh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, just such a wild issue. Uh, a great issue that I never would have read otherwise, so... In the Five Years Legion is, is one of the ones that is usually, uh, pointed to as a, this is what you should check out. Um, it's not terribly long, the five-year pit, um... But uh, still, never got around to it. Uh, maybe one of these years it'll uh, it'll be a thing that I do. But uh, uh, a very uh, belated thank you to Jeremy for <laughs> introducing me to this issue. Um, we'll cut out of here for a second. We'll come back with a hot take. Okay, this time out I wanted to take a look at the Amazing Readers section of Amazing Heroes issue 109 has a cover date of January 1st, 1987, and uh, gonna just take a few of the letters here because some of them, uh, some of them don't have a whole lot to do with the uh, stuff that we talk about. So uh, we have one here from Stephen in Chicago. Title is Longer Burn Stories. It says I was disappointed with Burn's debut issue of Action Comics, especially after Superman number one. In particular, I didn't like how he'd handled the story. Well, I mean, what else is there, right? Um, and what a story. Done right, it could have been, page turn, good. <laughs> a bad guy takes over the Man of Steel's bod and starts doing bad stuff. The new Teen Titans mix it up with him, only to get wasted for their trouble, and finally Jericho, what a dumb name for a hero, in concert with our hero, saves the day. Like I said, what a story. But Byrne made a big mistake in limiting it to only one issue. A story like this requires at least two or three to do it justice. In his classic address, Byrne states that action will follow a one-story, one-issue policy. I believe this is a mistake. Marvel tried a similar policy years ago. It wasn't too popular. In my opinion, the life and times of Superman, especially the Byrne Superman, are way too complicated for such a policy. And Byrne, by his handling of action number four eight, I'm sorry, 584, has unwittingly proven me right. In another matter, Strike Force Moritori has joined my all-too-slim all list of Marvel titles worth reading. Some irony that, after hyping those wretched New Universe titles, Marvel Edsels, I call them, man, this dude is witty. Uh, and finally, I'm glad to hear that Catwoman's become a villainess again. She could be nothing else to me. In a time when Chris Claremont could turn Magneto, once one of Marvel's greatest villains into a milksop, it's good to know that someone still believes that in comicdom, bad is good. Well, now uh, we have a reply here from the editor. He says, I don't know, Stephen. That action plot is about as old as the hills. Don't know how much good it would have been to, to done to extend it, but that's just my opinion. I mean, the, the post-burn, or the during-burn action comics run is the basically a continuation of DC Comics Presents. You didn't... I don't think you wanted many of those issues to go more than one part. They were usually pretty pretty bland. Um, and these uh, the Action Comics uh, follow-ups were... I mean, they, they weren't earth-shattering. It was... I think it was more of a way just to have sup the, the new post-Man of Steel Superman interact with the greater DC Universe. It really wasn't about uh, establishing stories, really. I, I, at least in my opinion, I thought it was more about just... Uh, seeing how these relationships 
were, you know, how what they what these relationships looked like post Man of Steel. Were these new meetings? Were what did what did the Titans think of Superman? Even though you know we know two different versions now, I think that I think that was kind of the gist of what was supposed to be going down there. But I, I could be completely wrong. I do like the mention of uh, Strike Force Moritori. Of course, if you are subscribed to this uh, channel, you know that we do Moritori Mondays. Take a look at a, an issue of Strike Force Moritori every week. Or hopefully every week. Uh, most Mondays is what we say, just in case life gets in the way. You just, you don't know. <laughs> but uh, if it comes out, it will be a Monday. That much I could tell you. But uh, we're going to hop into the next letter here. It's Thomas from Houston, Texas. The title is Sick of Continuity. I don't know quite what to say. I just got through reading History of the DC Universe Book 2, and all I could think of is how utterly ridiculous the whole thing is. I'm a comics fan, okay? I've been one for over, ooh, ten years now. I've seen quite a lot of things come and go. I was in on the ground floor of the direct sales explosion. I used to be a cashier at a comic shop. And my only reaction to this stuff that's been happening the last couple of years is that comics are taking themselves too seriously. I guess I'm partly to blame. When I was younger, I used to worry about continuity and realism and other such matters. I changed my attitude about realism, however, when one day in a comic shop I heard two fans discussing the unrealistic aspects of the latest issue of Thor, suddenly someone else pointed out to them that they were discussing the realism of a story whose main character is a lame doctor who hits a stick upon the ground and turns into a Norse god. And for you continuity bugs out there, I know that it's a Norse god who can only who only thought he was a lame doctor, etc., etc., the point is, how realistic does it have to be after all? This reminds me of another Thor story. Remember the issue or issues of Thor where he was turned into a frog? Turns out that the frogs were at war with the rats and that both animals were capable of intelligent speech. I read a review of these stories, probably in your magazine, that said that this meant that whenever people in the Marvel Universe ate an animal, they were, that they were murderers or cannibals or some such. It's so ridiculous to think that comic book characters exist in anything resembling the real world. I mean, even realistic characters like Batman could not function in this world. After all, the basic premise there is the basic premise there is of a disgruntled millionaire who dresses up like a bat and goes around beating up crooks. It's corny, it's unrealistic, it doesn't make sense, but my point is it's not supposed to make sense. Why should it? Why should it be expected to make sense any more than Mickey Mouse having a friend who is a talking dog in Goofy and having a friend who is a dog dog in Pluto? Why should it make sense any more than family members who leave TV shows never to be seen or mentioned again? Anyone remember Chuck Cunningham from Happy Days or Eugene Barkley from The Big Valley? I, I don't know what the hell The Big Valley is. Is that a, is that a show? Right, maybe it is. I don't know. Now it's true that when I was a boy, such things bothered me. However, as I got older, my world broadened, and I just learned to accept those things. Unfortunately, in the comics business, you have grown men and women worrying about such things. Hey, Thomas, I resemble that remark. Cool it, you know. He, he grew out of it. I, I think I grew into it. He continues. I've listened to my fellow fans discussing the fact that Supergirl, quote, never existed. They say that there was never a Fortress of Solitude. I read that Superman never was a member to the JLA. Neither was Wonder Woman. But that's all just bunk. People, none of this ever really happened. 
As the great cartoonist R. Crumb once said, remember folks, it's all just lines on paper. If DC wants to say that there isn't a Supergirl or that Batman and Wonder Woman didn't fight Nazis during World War II, that's fine. That's their choice. But I can't help but think that they're cutting their own throat in the long run. People didn't turn away from DC in the 60s and 70s because they didn't have a tight universe like Marvel. They turned away because Marvel made better comics at the time. I believe that all in all, DC makes better comics now, and I believe that eventually the marketplace will reward them for this. But better comics is the issue, not better continuity. After all, everyone raves about Dark Knight, rightfully so, and it plays havoc with the previous Batman mythology. So what? Who cares? It's a good story, and the personalities of the characters are basically consistent. That's all that really matters. In the final assessment, what difference does it make if the, if the Atlantis in Superman has, pe- has mer-people and the Atlantis of Aquaman doesn't? I'm reminded of the time last year when I was reading a back issue of Jack's, Jack Kirby's The Eternals. On the letters page, there was a very long and passionate letter which proved that this comic could not be taking place in the Marvel Universe. The reply, which I assume was from the pen of Jack himself, was, Oh, so? Brilliant. Love it. I realize that my anti-continuity stance is unpopular among fandom, yet I just say that I'm against it when it gets in the way of a good story. I just think it's ridiculous when the comic book companies publish things like Secret Wars 2 and History of the DC Universe that are so full of themselves. I almost believe that these comic creators actually believe that they are creating, quote, classics and, quote, epics rather than diverting little works of mass entertainment. I enjoy comics. I do. But I don't feel that I've read any, and I've read several thousand, that could be considered neat works of literature. Sorry, I'm pretty sure Dave Sim knows what I'm talking about. Well, I guess I've rambled in quite, turn page, because this is a long letter, long enough. Thanks for the forum. I'm very interested to know how your readers will respond to this letter. I have a feeling that I'm in for all kinds of abuse. Okay, so, I wanted to include this letter because it's a, well, first, it's a hell of a letter. It's a very well written, it's very well thought out. Um, I disagree with it, for the most part, but, uh, he makes a lot of good points, and his points are well taken. Uh, I I really, even online now, you have like a, if you go to like a site like Reddit or something, and you have like that, oh, here's my unpopular opinion, I'm ready for the down votes. It's like, don't do that. Just don't do that. You, you look like an idiot if you do that. Don't do that. That's, that's just a jerk thing to do. Just put your opinion out there and, and let it go. Don't, don't, don't preemptively uh, try to, uh, try to call in the hate. Because most of the time, your unpopular opinion is probably not too unpopular. But this fellow here, Thomas here, he's uh, he he says the line almost exactly here. He he's not a he doesn't have a problem with continuity so long as it doesn't get in the way of a good story. Well, who's the judge of that? You know, um, I'm going to be talking about Marvel books uh, pretty soon here on the channel. And uh, I'm going to talk about some of the reasons why I stopped supporting them. And, you know, Civil War. Let's go back to Civil War here. I think a lot of people agree that that's a, that's a good story. But it's not a story that the characters fit into. Um, you know, that was, a, that was a story that didn't let continuity get in the way of telling it. And while, you know, people who don't have as sick and twisted a uh, connection to these characters as I do 
might have thought that was awesome. Me, it turned me off immediately. And it made me, it, it, it killed my Marvel zombiedom. You know, it made me stop wanting to uh, follow their their universe as thoroughly as I had been because, hey, if they don't care, why should I? It was my point of view. So, I mean, that's a slippery slope because who's the judge of what's a good story? You know, you could tell a good story using continuity. I mean, a good writer can do that. A good writer can also tell a story with no continuity. Or if you... If, you, if there's continuity out there that you don't want to mention, you just don't mention it. You don't have to say you don't have to say that this didn't happen. You just don't bring up the fact that it did happen. I think uh, so often in comics, uh, subtlety is not something that, uh, <laughs> that we're all that we're all that keen on. Uh, I think we need we need to know if things happened or if things didn't happen, and uh, and that's I think that's to our detriment and. You can have characters acting out of character to fill a role. It's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think continuity is, is important. And uh, I'm not sure that there even is continuity anymore. I don't know. I haven't read Marvel in years. But uh, DC, I've I, I've been reading very spottily. Because I just don't know if, I don't know where anything is, you know. And I feel like in order for me, and this is just me, I don't expect anyone to, uh, to empathize or identify, but uh, for me, I need there to be a, a tighter continuity. I need there to be something telling me that uh, that I'm uh, that I'm reading something that's you know filling in a you know a universe. It's filling it's filling in a, a chapter. Whereas if it's like well like like he was talking about the Jack Kirby thing here, it's like well this couldn't have happened here. It's like well okay. It's just I, if I read that, it would have been like, okay, I guess I'm not reading Eternals anymore because it doesn't matter. And again, this is just me. I am, you know, these are just my views on on continuity. Uh, I think continuity is a a very deep subject that maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll throw into weird comics history one of these days or on a comics talk or something. But uh, this was a very good letter. This uh, Thomas very passionate and. Uh, um, I wish you would have ended it differently, but uh, but very good letter and uh, gave gave us a lot of food for thought. We're gonna wrap it up with a letter from Paul in New Jersey. It's called "Alienated by Marvel and DC." He says, "While waiting for my subscription to start, I bought Amazing Heroes number one hundred three at the store, and noted with interest your editorial." Yes, I gave up on Cerebus after waiting in vain for the High Society plotline to end and for Cerebus to hit the road again as a barbarian. I thought it would end with issue number 50, but it just kept right on going. Now they have a Pope Cerebus. Why? I ordered back issues of Normal Man from Renegade and others, as I have swung away from DC and Marvel. I'm taking a closer look at alternative comics, despite their erratic publication, proneness to abrupt cancellation because the creator lost interest or decided to wrap it all up, etc. DC alienated me with the ridiculous and self-contradictory way it handled the crisis. That series seemed to lose direction at least once, and readers don't hold your breath waiting for DC to explain every paradox created in issues 10 and 11. Also, different writers wrote all kinds of confusing interpretations as they do not get together to avoid contradicting each other. 
Marvel alienated me with recent developments. Back when Hulk became intelligent and heroic in issue 272, we were promised that this change was permanent, that Bruce Banner had his final confrontation with the howling horror and was the victor. This Hulk of the 80s lasted until issue number 299, when Bruce Banner died, leaving a mindless animal Hulk loose on Earth. For over two years, I waited for the new, improved, intelligent, heroic Hulk to return, and we get a gray, thuggish Hulk that comes out at night. I was lied to. All of Marvel's promises are lies. Issue 227 was the last one for me. Also, Marvel was petty and throwing burnout because he did some work over at DC. They even went and threw out his plot lines. In Fantastic Four number 296, the big one, we were promised that the diamonds on Monster Island, when melted, would yield an ichor that when bathed in would turn you into what you are in your heart of hearts. That was a hard sentence to read. There was nothing like that in Fantastic Four number 296. The story had poor characterization, poor continuity, poor motivation, and inexplicably, Ben Grimm rejoins the Fantastic Four, even though it's clear that Reed Richards screwed up his chances for a normal life. I dumped Fantastic Four with issue 296. I need not go on. I buy only DC's Who's Who and of Marvel, mostly Marvel Age. Steel Steel Grip Starkey seems very promising, though issue number three was two months late. That's an epic title. It's well drawn, cleanly written, with characters that are characters and suffer only from the sheer momentum of issue one, which cannot be sustained for the rest of the series. Already, Issue 3 slowed the pace for human soul exploration of what things mean for Steel Grip. The new universe, to me, was just an excuse to jam up the comics racks and interfere with the other titles. And of Star, the only title that is not either badly drawn or wholly childish is Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham. And that is losing the magic it once had. That, That had magic? Yeah, okay. Uh, the backup features that have been lately drawn that uh, the backup features have been lately drawn in that Japanese slapdash style. Mad balls was sick, gouged eyes, etc. Charlton failed because it never gave the readers a chance. Promising titles with potential, like Green gra- Grass Green's Shape, Spookman, and the Prankster, they were one shots. The hero line absorbed into DC's revamped universe without exception had no memorable stories. And Ditko's art and writing lately is the pits. I'm writing a hero history of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, covering the 20-issue run and the six-part miniseries that had real promise but fell short of it. And I consider this effort by DC dead now, so I'm, go- so I'm doing the hero history. Pacific Comics offered funny animals only as a one-shot, and its Captain Victory was really the pits at the end. There was a complete floundering of direction, contradicting earlier concepts, and the characters were mostly shouting and yelling. That was a flaw in the series. The dialogue was exclamations, utterances, and expostulations of desperate or anguished nature. It it started with a good story with an apocalyptic finish, but the Wonder Warrior story mushed out all... Mushed out? Mushed out, okay. Mushed out with all plot lines dangling. I was going to do a negative review of Captain Victory and a hero history, but someone stole the comics along with a number of others. So, uh, I guess that's a win if somebody stole your crappy comics? I I don't know. Um, The editor here uh, calls him out for complaining that Star Comics are childish, and I agree, because, uh, come on now. (laughs) I mean, you're really buying, uh, you know, Planet Terry or or Ewoks or uh, what's the other one there? The... uh, 
the the space boy one. I mean the pirate one or something. I mean these are clearly kids books. Uh, they are young kids books. So uh, come on, come on. But I, I liked including this one because it doesn't sound too terribly different than a lot of the complaints we get today, which goes to show that uh, the fandom, as a, I think, is forward thinking and as progressive as we purport ourselves to be, we're uh, <laughs> we're in the same place we were back in. 1986, 1987. So that's uh, pretty interesting, and I like that it was a wide breadth of review there. He, you know, talking about Cerebus, talking about DC, Marvel, some uh, indie stuff too. Just a real fun little time capsule that we can revisit from time to time. Uh, I apologize if I stumbled through them. The grammar uh, is really, really bad in these Amazing Heroes uh, letters pages. It's I, I don't think they do any editing, so whatever they write. They, you know, they they publish. So it's uh, a lot of weird, a lot of weird stuff in in some of these things here. But uh, I can also appreciate how he feels alienated by the big two because that's kind of it's kind of the boat I'm sitting in right now myself. And <laughs> it's a it's a lonely boat sometimes. I don't know. But uh, that'll do it for the hot take, and uh, we'll just hop over to the horns and then close this one out. Might even be under an hour. Alrighty, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out. I had uh, had a lot of fun talking about this. It's not often I get to talk about the Legion. I I will probably never talk about the Legion intelligently or eloquently, but uh, the fact that you listen to me ramble and bumble and stumble through it means a whole heck of a lot to me. Uh, If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can check out the show site at uh, chrisandreggie.com and on all the noise aggregators out there. You can visit the site that this show is named after at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. And if while you're there you see a book that I've talked about that you'd like to hear me talk about, like verbally and vocally, uh, let me know and I'll put it on the list there. Uh, Also, if while you're there you see a book that you'd like to come on and talk about, let me know and we'll see what we can find out. Again, that'll uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, Getting out of here and... Well, it would be over an hour after I edited in the music, so we didn't beat an hour. But uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I didn't take up too much of your day. Uh, again, thank you so so much for hanging out. Had a good time with this, and uh, I'll see you again real soon. See you.